this episode does contain content that includes stories of enslavement, rape, and heavy beatings. It is mostly in the top front of the episode, so if that's something that you don't feel like you can consume, please go ahead and fast forward a little bit and continue the rest, or if not, you can just skip this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I'm Jupiter F. Stone. And I'm Chloe Skye. And I'm Sarah Gorski. I have been doing some research lately on intersectionality because I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm a pretty intersectional bitch myself. What had happened was honestly is I got asked to give a speech at a college in an intersectionality series. So I decided to go and do some research and, because I wanted to make sure I had my shit together. And some of the most amazing broads have been showing up. I especially impressed because it is by those who came before me that look like me and are like me that I didn't know existed before that shaped the world so profoundly. So I am very excited to bring you one of those broads today who, like so many on our list, is not given nearly the amount of credit that is due. Uh, In fact, before I did this research today, I had no idea that I even knew who this broad was. I just recognized her image. So we got a lot of firsts with this broad, a lot of firsts. In 1828, she was one of the first African-American women to win a custody battle against a white man over the rights to her child. But this is not the only thing that led her to becoming the first African-American woman to be honored in the Capitol building. Wait, did you say the right to her child? The right to her child, yes. She was the very, she was one of the first women. Like a white man took her to court to try to take her kid she actually no, took the white man yeah, to court. <laughs> it sounds more like if if this is 1820s, if a white man had a child with his slave, uh, then the child is legally his anyway. So I'm trying she, to train myself to say the enslaved, the person he enslaved instead of the slave. I'm right. trying to remember that. I'm saying that out loud for my audience here so that they can hold me to it. So she was trying to get her baby back from this white fucker. She was. And I will go into the story of how he got him because it's fucking it's fucking epic and it's great. And like I said, it's like one of the things she's really known for. Except I still don't even know who it is. (gasps) I'm having trouble. Okay, go. I promise I will tell you at the end. At the end? We don't get to know who we're talking about. At the end of my intro, y'all. Yes. All right. All right. (laughs) Not the end of the whole episode. As a women's rights and anti-slavery pioneer, the ripples of her life and her legacy to me as someone who is identified as an African-American female on my birth certificate, I feel like she should be praised and honored in the highest regards along the sides of icons like Rosa Parks, who was born into segregation in 1913, and Harriet Tubman, who was born into slavery in 1822. Because those revolutionists, and so many more, stood on the shoulders of this broad who was born into slavery in 1797. Oh, so she predates them. Fuck yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, you know Harriet, you know Rosa, but they existed because this woman who was born into slavery decided, fuck this, and she walked, literally walked, not ran, into her freedom 
1826. And then she continued and did not stop preaching her truth or helping her people until the literal day that she died in 1883. I think this is a super epic fucking broad. Ladies, I present to you the legendary Sojourner Truth. <gasps> yes! Thank you. There we go. Oh my god. Okay, so I know her name, but I don't know much about her, and so I'm so excited. So this is how I think I'd like to do this episode. This this broad is so epic that I'm going to do some broad strokes over her life. Get oh, it? okay. <laughs> I okay. I'm Working in the through. puns. Yes, yes. I'm going to try to get this done in a digestible amount of time. So I'm going to give you a, I, honestly, like when I say she is like the great, great granddaddy of so many abolitionists, it is impossible to mention all the things that she has done. So I'm just going to give a very brief overview of her ridiculous upbringing. And then I'm going to give you highlights of three super dope times that she changed the whole ass game. Love it. That is what I'm going to do. Love it. Okay, so early life. She was born Isabella Bomfrey in 1797. It was there that Truth and her 10 to 12 siblings and two parents were kept and owned at an estate by a Colonel Hardenberg. You said 12? 12 siblings? 8 to 12, because they didn't have exactly all the Holy records, right? Shit. Right. So she was one of 8 to 12. So she was... Her parents essentially were purchased by the father of this colonel, and then she became, like, she came with, you know, as they got born, they got more slaves, and then the descendant's son took over the property and decided to keep humans as a part of the estate. So it was like, well, my dad kind of had slaves, so I guess since I'm taking over the property, I'll still kind of keep the slaves. Yeah. And But that was, like, common. They were considered property, yes, and they were exactly. considered part of your estate. Yeah. And the thing that fucked me up with this story, well, no, one of the first things, is this took place 95 miles north of New York City. And I feel like a lot of people, when they think about slavery, they do think about the South, right? But this was in 1797. So there was still slavery in New York. So she grew up, she grew up speaking Dutch on this estate. And she only learned how to speak English at nine years old when in 1806, the owner had died. And so because the owner had died, Everything on the property was sent off to auction because he had no heirs. Like, I guess he didn't have any sons. So at nine years old, she was separated from her family and sold at an auction near Kingston with a flock of sheep for $100. He also probably had debts and shit. True. He probably wasn't financially viable, and so the bank was trying to get their... I mean, that's what happens at the auctions, right? You can confiscate the drug yeah. dealer's cars, and then you sell them, and yep. you make money. It goes back. It so goes she deep. was she was worth less than a hundred dollars because the sheep were thrown into. Correct. They were sold as a bundle package, and I actually listened to this whole like hour long Zoom call with descendants of her family, and they had um, the actual document that shows the bill of sale of the sheep and her for the one hundred dollars to her new owner <laughs> who beat her daily and this is documented that she was beaten daily at nine years old i walk away too for, well for two fucking years but Ugh. it was so two years later she was sold for 105 dollars solo item this time to a tavern keeper who had her for 18 months 
before selling her to John Dumont of West Park, New York in 1810, who also beat and raped her repeatedly. And this is in addition to the constant harassment by her master's wife. This made life for the 13-year-old quite difficult but, 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 happy story, happy story. Five years later, Truth falls in love with another enslaved man from a different form. Now, their relationship was forbidden because his owner didn't want people he enslaved to have children with people he did not own, for their children would not be his property, but instead the property of the mother's owner. So Sojourner's like, I fell in love. This is cool. This is dope. I got this guy. He's super down for me. But his owner was like, nah, fuck that. Not doing it. So after getting caught together one night, her lover, Robert, was beaten in front of her, taken away, and she was never, she never saw him again. I thought you said this was a happy story. I I said for a moment, I said for a moment, I said for a moment, they fell in love and then it was over. (laughs) Then it was over. It was a happy Uh, story. That was a miss. There was a happy, there was a happy moment. Yeah, a happy moment. I said a moment. Come on. We'll say a moment of respite. You from yeah. the horrors. Yeah. yeah, a reprise, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you better buckle the fuck in. wouldn't even say happy. She found a little bit of happiness, and it was literally beaten out of her in front of her. Truth never saw Robert after that, and he did end up dying a few years later. Uh, eventually, her owner married Truth off to an older slave in which he owned named Thomas. And at that point, um, between the time that she was still with this owner, she bore five children, One of them died in childbirth. Another one was a result of a rape from her owner. And then the last three children were born after her unionship with Thomas, although it is not known that he is definitely the father of her last three children as Dumont, her owner, continued to rape her from the time she was a child into her early adulthood. (sighs) All all I'm thinking is, like, can you even imagine? No. 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 And for her to have gone on to do what she did, but I almost think that it is kind of like a Polly Murray situation where it's like, when you've seen your father be murdered in a mental hospital and then you get thrown in a mental hospital unjustly, how do you walk out of that mental hospital alive and not just tear shit the fuck down? Yeah. So... In 1799, the state of New York began, I say began, to legislate the abolition of slavery. The process of emancipating those people enslaved in New York was not completed until July 4th, 1827. Yeah. 1799 to 1827. It just wasn't like a priority. How long do you need to get your shit together? So her owner, Dumont, was basically like, okay, so yes, emancipation is coming. I will set you free. I promise. So basically he promised her freedom one year before state emancipation if she, quote, would do well and be faithful. This is to someone who he's been beating and raping, who's been working for him for free for... Like, what do you mean? How do you, how is that even a deal? But she, she took him at at his word. And so she continued to work and not complain. When other slaves were like being let go and other owners started processing them out, she was still there. And he said that she had, due to like a hand injury or something, she wasn't performing optimally. So he kept her past the year point. Burn it down. Yes. So she was like, okay, 
fuck this, fuck this. And this is where that the epic shit where I said, okay, I'm gonna give you a brief history childhood and then list some epic shit. Okay, I'm ready for the great epic stuff. This is this is where the epic, epic stuff starts. Not that I don't think like her actual just like literally surviving up to this point as a person who's gone through what she's gone through isn't epic enough. Well, the first one is, uh, I, I call it the walk to freedom. Me and everyone else who knows this, there's literally a plaque. In late 1826, Truth escaped into freedom by walking away in daylight. Now, she had to leave most of her children behind because logistically, they were they they were not legally freed until they served as bound servants into their 20s. Because that was a part of the ruling. Even though there was emancipation, it was emancipation for adults. So if mm. your children were still in it, they had to continue to work into their 20s. So she had to leave them. But for some reason, she was able to take her infant daughter because I think there was some weird thing where it's not not a weird thing. It's actually a really fucked up thing. But she couldn't work yet. Like her other children were at an age where they could begin to do chores and whatnot. So they had to continue in their servitude. But because her infant was not. No value. It's not, exactly. not working. So she was able to take her daughter and they literally walked during the daytime away from the property. And I feel like at this point, so many other slaves had been freed that no one was like chasing her down with fucking pitchforks. And she wasn't like running through, you know, like underground railroad type of situation, which is like the stories that at least were fed to me, she literally well, I think it walked. depends on like also probably how wealthy the owner was and if they had like security mm. and shit like i feel like if they had like dudes that like local poor white dudes that they hired to like keep the slaves in line which i feel like a lot of them did based on my knowledge like mm-hmm. they would like track them down but if they were but if the the owner wasn't doing so well and didn't have like a whole staff of people to like enforce it right yeah and i feel like the people who were being let go in like the early parts were having more difficult time versus when emancipation was like a year away because at this point he said he was going to let her go a year before emancipation and he had already been back on his promise for like six months or so so i feel like it's like okay at least this is like a more like normalized thing and to your point i think that maybe the reason why he kept his slaves on for as long is because he didn't make that full transition like other people did and he had to keep them on for the money because she ended up walking and found Isaac and Maria Van Waffenen and in New Platts, New York, who took her and her baby in and Isaac offered to pay for her services for the rest of the year until emancipation was fully in effect, to which her owner agreed. And he accepted this transfer for $20. So technically, he still got his money worth for her for the rest of the year. But then she's not a, considered a criminal. Right, exactly. And in six months' time... Right. So that's what she did is she stayed with these people for the rest of the year with her baby until it was like legally and officially like she's Damn, good to you know go. What? She's these free. stories, I love these parts of the stories so much when you hear about how people helped each other. I fucking love, mm-hmm. I fucking love yeah. that. It was the same yes. with Biddy. If you remember, like Biddy had these people that were like, yo, this shit's fucked up. You should leave. And then they like helped her do it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of these big achievements wouldn't be possible without that part of the story absolutely absolutely there's a lot of people who maybe could have achieved some things that our other broads have achieved 
if they had had some help. If they did. Right. Because that guy was like, I'm going to pay for it. What if he didn't pay for it? What Then she'd be like, no, she has to come back. She has to come back for the six months. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. Or been put in jail or something like. Right. So they continue to, they continue to help out. I will say a second epic point is I entitled Fight the Power because this is one of her huge claims to fame. So Truth learned that her son, Peter, who was five years old at the time, had been illegally sold by Dumont to a member of his family in Alabama after the New York State Emancipation Act was in full effect. Oh, bullshit. Right. Because Alabama didn't really. give a shit about the abolition. Exactly. Law. If they had sold him before the New York State Emancipation Act was in full effect, this would have been totally legal, which is fucked up but because they did it after the act had already taken place this child was supposed to be free but he didn't spend the time in his servitude into his 20s end quote so there was all this complication around it and why it should be allowed you can just say it was white people bullshit it was some it was some white people bullshit 100 100 <laughs> so the van wagons <laughs> I think, took her to court and were like, let's go. We're going to help you out. Now, if she lost in this case, her son would remain in slavery for the rest of his life. And she knew the result of what his life was going to be like, having grown up in it her entire life. And she was able to provide this testimony in such an articulate way, in ways that others before her had never done before, because she grew up on a farm speaking fucking Dutch and then taught herself how to speak English. So people are expecting this uneducated black woman ex-slave to come in and try to fight for her kid, who, by the way, was being mercilessly abused by this new family in the South because slavery in the South is a little different than slavery in the fucking North. So he's like, what the fuck? And they're both fucking bad, but I'm just fucking saying, like... It was a really bad situation. All the odds were stacked up against her. And she walked in and spoke in such a way that shook people because she didn't have a Southern accent. She didn't have a slave accent. She had something that kind of sounded like something they were used to. All these white people were like, wait, we didn't literally think it was possible for one of you, quote, slaves or you people to maintain this level of intelligence. Right. But she fucking did. Yeah. She absolutely did. And she fucking won she won that shit and she became the first black woman to go to court against a white man in such a case and win the case yes and peter was freed peter was freed yeah but you you know you know how these stories go right no. You know how these stories go, right? Don't look at me like so, that. Don't look at me like that. This was a huge fucking deal. White people were mad, is what you're about to say. White yeah. people were fucking livid. So she rises to fame and acclaim with a lot of the abolitionists of the time because they hear about this court proceeding and they're like, oh shit, okay, we need to get you on board. We're going to start bringing you in. Do you want to start being more active? To which she does. And then there's some weird shit that happened. So her, they moved to New York City. She works as a housekeeper. There's a whole bunch of things that happened at this point in her life, which I cannot even mention. But the time after, between the court proceedings and this that happens with her son is so interesting. I just cannot validate putting it in. So dear Lord, listener, please go do your research. But I'm going to try to summarize. Some weird shit happens with her son. He becomes a sailor because he's free now, right? Now this time there's still not a lot of black people that are free. Right. He becomes a sailor. 
Because they could get paid. It was like a good job. Yes. And to them, it was a big deal. It's like kind of like when Pearl Harbor happened in Hawaii. One of like the stories that lots of people tell me, you know, from generations that are still there. The Japanese Americans that were on the island of Oahu enlisted after the Japanese came and bombed Pearl Harbor. They wanted to enlist mm. as American soldiers, as American citizens. That to makes prove sense. They were literally going to go kill their own fucking people because they wanted to prove their allegiance to America. Like, it's so fucking complicated. So this child who was going to be a slave for the rest of his life by white male slave owners is now saying i'm gonna go risk my life for this country and it was a big deal because he was the first little black baby of this kind and he starts writing letters back and forth to his mom and these letters get lost her letters to him get lost. He, she receives a third letter that he says is supposed to be a fifth letter. So she's getting kind of concerned. She's like, I don't really know why my letters are getting lost. He hasn't received any of my letters. Is somebody intersecting, intercepting my letters? Sure. And when the ship comes back to port, coming back to America after their tour, her son's not on it. He's missing. Nobody knows what happened to oh, him. So this shit. So the fact that he just disappeared is huge and nobody knows do they ever find him no they never found him so for her whole life so these these are the big points Hmm. of her life her first lover was beaten mercilessly in front of her and then taken away and then died she never saw him again her son who she fought for in this epic battle against the court system they're like try they like they, they erased it you know and they literally erased him he never came back and so this is where she's like okay fuck all this shit she ends up taking up these abolitionists who've been like, you know, you need to get more involved. You need to do shit. Now that this happened with her kids, she's like, fuck it, I'm down. So she does a bunch of stuff. But one of the highlights for me is she ends up living on a compound with other fellow mines. It's 470 acres of land in which she oversaw and supervised both men and women, big deal at the time, in 1844 when she joined the Northampton Association for Education, which was essentially a community of communists who, like, had their own shit. They had their own water system. They had their own sewery. They had their own. So she's essentially overseeing, like, laundry for an entire 470 acres of, like... She's uh, living on a commune. Yes. For the record, I'm, like, never judging communes. I think they're pretty awesome. 100%. It's just, like, going back to the way we were supposed to live, the way we evolved to live. it, It sounded beautiful. Like, the parts that I found out about, like, this time in her life, like, the different people that she was able to meet, like, people who came through there, people used it to, like, retreat and gather and collect mines. Like, this is where she met Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass was one of the people that encouraged her to start giving speeches and to actually go out yes. and start using her experience Get it, Frederick. to let yeah. people fucking know, right? So it, so she was like, okay, so it was Frederick and the other people in this community, they, they encouraged her and she did, she did. In 1844, she gave her very first anti-slavery speech. It wasn't until six years later that she gave one of the most impactful speeches of her lifetime, which is her third boss-ass, badass, shake-up the game point, which is probably her biggest claim to fame. Uh, Her impromptu speech delivered at off the top, by the fucking way. Like, uh, she, impromptu, like, I didn't know I was going to give a speech. And also off the top, like, I didn't prepare a speech at the... 1851 Ohio's Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. 
Akron, Ohio. The butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> if Gary, Indiana didn't exist, uh, yeah, I'd agree with you. Akron, maybe the, the navel. Look, they okay, so it was in this speech where she challenged the sexist imagery being used by the male critics to justify the disenfranchisement of women. There were white male hecklers who showed up to the women's rights convention. Not all men, guys. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It is all men. <laughs> yes. They literally... Of course there were. They literally showed up specifically to mock the women, saying they were too frail to take on responsibilities. They were too weak to participate in political activity. And this is when Sojourn Your Truth rose to speak at the Women's Rights Conference, and the white feminists urged her to sit down and requested assistance, even from... Can we just call them Karens? Can we just Karen- call them Karens? <laughs> the Karens, yes. The Karens didn't want her to speak at the Women's Rights Conference. All yes, right, well, so rights were for white women, you see. Correct, <laughs> correct. Uh, this is so, this is such a painful chapter in feminist history. Look, here we go, and we're doing it. So once she was actually permitted to speak, and mind you, this was at a time where most people, and this is pulled from an article that I read, but and it really fucked me up. I was like, wow. Most people saw black slaves as men. When they thought black slave, their image in their mind, it was like just man, because that's who they saw, right? And when they thought of a woman they thought of a white woman so black slave is a man and white woman woman equals white that is what they had burned into their image so here she stood as a freed black slave with a fucking vagina and she spoke to her experience and i'm going to pull a quote from the impromptu off the top speech that she gave this day look at my arm I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me. Ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most of them sold into slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? I've heard that poem, by the way. It's one of the best. That one is widely published. That's, yes, that's the thing. That is the thing. The thing is, I always thought it was a poem. But it's an impromptu, off-the-top speech. And what's fucking interesting about this speech, and maybe the one that you've heard, is because of the deep-rooted racism, because of how epic this was, and how uncomfortable she made everyone, Mm -hmm. because of how uncomfortable she made anyone, but because of how epic it was, this was known in the Civil War times. This was one of the things that was being circulated during the first Civil War, and it was known as Ain't I a Woman. Mm -hmm. So to have a bunch of male soldiers out there and to be that's one of the things that were getting circulated was fucking huge, especially because she was so important in recruiting people to go and fight in the war. And when this was remade later, people actually gave it a southern accent and a lot of people when they do this which is why i tried very hard to make sure i did not in delivering this will give it a southern accent just because of their preconceived notions like black woman freed slave it's southern and the word ain't 
and the word ain't. Which is typically associated with a southern accent. And just to, because I've been, uh, some of my research lately too, Frederick Douglass had his own newspaper just for this purpose, to like circulate material like this Mm -hmm. that wasn't getting printed other places. So he started his own newspaper, the North Star, and it like, and they like distributed it as best they could to like any people who could read, basically. To get it out. Which, um, I don't believe she could. I believe she was illiterate. Even though she spoke two languages, she couldn't actually read and write. Well, she did, she didn't go to school for that. Like, slavers slavers did not usually teach yeah. their Sla- enslaved yeah. to, they did to not. But damn, did she give a speech. People who were enslaved most of the time did not know how to read or write. Right. And if if you were a person who was beaten and or raped nearly every day of your life mm-hmm. when right. would you have learned right and she had a lot of, she had to bore 13 children's you know yeah it was a lot I mean, if busy. you were working in the field you were working in the field all the time so correct like yeah and it's learning time. it's not like there's billboards that you need to learn to read right like what are you reading it's just i mean that's why people wheat. sign their own papers like with like x's and shit because mm-hmm. they didn't mm-hmm. actually know how to they so know what a signature how did they was know what they were signing it's a great ding, ding, question ding, 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 ding. anyway so yeah in summary yes the mass publicity of this speech in particular has been bastardized because people are which is so fucked up because like the whole point of this speech is do not put me in a box I have a different type of experience because I am part this thing and part this thing. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean you should get to choose for me. So when people take that actual speech and put a Southern accent on it because they see her as a certain thing, it is disrespecting the actual content that she is trying to deliver in that speech. So those are her three pretty epic things. Her claim to fame was her literal walk away from her slave owners in broad daylight with her baby in tow then finding out about Peter and fighting the fucking power and being a black woman, former slave, beating a white male slave owner from the South. Shout the fuck out. And then the last major point in her life, which is the, just the last major point that I want to bring up, because after this, she did a bunch of epic shit, was her Ain't I a Woman speech. So she was able to continue on. She changed her name in her 40s, by the way. I've been calling her Truth because everyone speaks to her as such because that's her chosen name and it is respectful. But she actually didn't change her name until her late 40s when she claimed it was a calling to God. Truth because what she was telling was the truth and because she was journeying. She was a journeyer. She wanted to go to different places and move people by actually moving from location to location to give speeches, of which she did hundreds. She helped recruit black troops into the Union Army for the war. She rode on streetcars to fight against segregation. She even showed up to the polls to attempt to vote. And knowing that she had had audiences with multiple presidents, including Abraham Lincoln and Grant, she was still turned away, but she still went. She fought for federal land grants for formerly enslaved, later known as 40 Acres and a Mule, and continued to speak out against abolition, women's rights, prison reformment, and the abolition of capital punishment until her death in November of 1883, to which over 1,000 people attended her funeral. Fuck yeah, truth. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. She yeah. was ahead of the curve she fucking on was. every issue. I would say so. Frederick Douglass, he offered her a eulogy in Washington, D.C. And I'm going to close with the quote that he said about her, which was, Venerable for age, distinguished for insight into human nature, 
remarkable for independence and courageous self-assertion, devoted to the welfare of her race. She has been, for the last 40 years, an object of respect and admiration to social reformers everywhere. Frederick D. Frederick D. So to have someone so fucking epic and so well respected, and for me to have just found about out about her yesterday, I am a little overwhelmed and emotional. She's amazeballs. I wanted to do my best to present her because fuck yeah, she is amazeballs. She is amazeballs. She is amazeballs. Join us next week for another broad you should know. I'm going to be bringing you several broads who I'm calling the background broads. These are the women who supported their men who accomplished amazing things, but who couldn't have accomplished those amazing things without their broads in their life. So come back next week to learn more about my background broads. I have I have related broads. I have Ooh, related let broads. Let us know who's related I have, to. I have related. I have related. Anyone who's related. Yeah, if you like this episode, you'll also like. Yes. You will probably also like Polly Murray, who is intersectional as fuck and known for writing the Civil Rights Bible, which is important. Pretty important. Uh, Audrey Lord, the black lesbian Ooh. mother, warrior, poet, and advocate for intersectionality. Yes. I got that directly off of the website. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> Frida Kahlo, which like. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I just love Frida and I'm going to throw her ass in there because I think she was revolutionary and muy importante. She did a lot of revolutionary shit. She did. And we talked about it a little bit. Bridget, Biddy Mason, who sued for her freedom. Fuck yeah. Fuck Biddy. yeah. Get, it, Get it in the courts. Get it in the courts. And uh, lastly, Shirley Chisholm because yes. of her fucking, I am not the black candidate, though I am black and I'm proud. First I am not the woman women's candidate. Yep. Exactly. She's the people's candidate, and that is intersectional as fuck. So it sure is. Yes. As fuck. Get rid of the labels. This Boom. shit's stupid. Damn right. So, Woo. if you like this episode, feel free to go through and give those episodes we just mentioned from those broads a listen, or you can just go and search for a bunch more badass broads from our database at broadsyoushouldknow.com. Rate us and leave us a review on your podcast listening platform of choice as it really helps our visibility and therefore so the visibility of these super amazing and noteworthy women from history who more people need to know about. So that's all for this week. Subscribe right now and then come back next week for another episode of Broads You Should Know.